everyone for this installment of Flick City. We have we're covering three movies. Two of them are with filmmakers, and the other one is with an actor producer. Okay, the first one is the Integrity, Joseph Chambers, and I recently interviewed as of like maybe fifteen twenty minutes ago. Clayne Crawford, he's the lead in this. He's also the producer of The Integrity of Joseph Chambers. It hits theaters, select theaters, as well as VOD platforms on Friday, February 17th. Me, Bruce, and Eric, we all love this movie. We gave it four and a half stars. It centers on the aforementioned Joseph Chambers. And Joe's he's an insurance salesman, and he really wants to prove to his family. His wife is played by Jordana Brewster. He wants to prove to his folks, I mean, his, his family, and his, he has two kids as well. What's proved to them that he's uh, he's a man. He's a man's man instead of just a city slicker insurance agent. So what he does is he goes out into the wilderness or the outdoors to hunt a deer by himself, which, by the way, is not a good thing if you're not really experienced in going out and hunting a deer or just going out and roughing, roughing it outdoors and just knowing your environment. That is the premise of the integrity of Joseph Chambers. When he is out there, a lot of Something something actually happens that's not very, very good for his future. And the rest of the film is a very closed-in, claustrophobic, not even a thriller character study of a person who is undone by his actions. I'm not going to give too much away regarding what happens, but I really loved how the third act wraps up. And it's if you if it's not playing in your local theater, check it out maybe on Apple TV or iTunes. It's worth. I don't know if there's you can there, you can still pre-order it, but uh, I guess I don't know. It's twelve ninety nine, and I'm gonna purchase it come Friday on Apple TV. I I love this movie so much. If you are a fan of Crawford's previous film, The Killing of Two Lovers, both of these movies are directed by I don't know how, how to pronounce his name, Robert Machoyan, I believe, and they're just great collaborations between Machoyan and Crawford. So really love both of these films. If you love The Killing of Two Lovers, that does not mean you're going to really enjoy or love The Integrity of Joseph Chambers. I think both of them are very separate type of films, but they're both great character studies. So in a way, if you love the indie-driven cinema of The Killing of Two Lovers, then I think you will appreciate where The Integrity of Joseph Chambers goes. So that's the first interview is with Clay Crawford. Second one is with Goran Stolevsky. A couple years back, or maybe a year and a half back, he directed a movie called You Won't Be Alone. Very interesting vampire monster. Not really a monster film. It's sort of an epic look at... Uh, yeah, it was just a very... or Not a monster, like a witch thing. I really love this movie. I think it's streaming somewhere right now. You gotta see You Won't Be Alone. His latest movie is called Of an Age. And it centers on this teen in Australia. Immigrant teen. And his 24-hour relationship or just connection with the brother of his best friend. Okay, so the young kid, he's sort of an aspiring dancer and his it's a very the first half is very frenetic and nervous, nerve-wracking and eventually when this teen meets the older guy, who's probably the older guy is probably in his early 20s maybe, and you see their relationship bloom, it gets the frenetic nervous pace of the first not even first half, maybe first 20 to 30% of the narrative. It just shifts tones and it becomes more of a very interesting, romantic, heartache drama that captures a moment in time where one, where possibly it's a universal story, how one feels about someone else. And it doesn't have to take two years or three years regarding the building of a relationship, maybe a spark of a moment, or in this case, 24 hours can really influence 
these two men. So very interesting movie of an age. Love that film. Unlike unlike the the integrity of Joseph Chambers, it's not on VOD. You're gonna have to see it in theaters Friday, February seventeenth, via Focus Features. It's a beautiful looking movie as well. Not as lush as You Won't Be Alone, but that's intended. This is a completely different. Parts of this movie feels very frenetic and handheld. The other stuff is very, very intimate and personal. You're very closed in on these, these prospective soulmates, and it's really well done. And if you've ever fallen in love or lust with someone in your life, you might be able to relate to of an age. Very, it's a movie that when I first saw it, I was like, well, oh, really solid movie. Loved it four stars. But then as the days progressed. This was a five-star experience for me. So it's a movie that I'm going to go back to time and time again as the years progress. And I, when it gets, when it hits, if it hits physical media, I will purchase it on Blu-ray or DVD, etc. And during the interview, he talks about a couple of films, Happy Together from Wong Kar Wai, which I still haven't seen Wong Kar Wai. I mean, I've, I still haven't seen Happy Together. And I don't know if anyone is listening to this, but I actually interviewed Wong Kar Wai at a press junket for Happy Together, having not seen the film, realizing other people who are who are smarter than me saw the movie. So I I just basically for that interview kicked back and let everyone do the, that interview, and that's that shows how much of a you know what I am. So, but anyways, I did see the, the integrity of Joseph Chambers, and I actually did see Of an Age, both really wonderful films. Finally, there's a found footage film called The Outwaters, and that interview is conducted by Eric Holmes. He interviews director-writer Robbie Banfitch, and I haven't seen it. So, But Bruce and Eric both enjoyed The Outwaters. Not streaming right now. It's available in theaters, and it's available. You can actually purchase tickets. Go to, go see your found, If you're a found footage fan, go check out The Outwaters. Support independent cinema like The Outwaters, The Integrity of Joseph Chambers, and of an age. I will put on the show notes exactly where these interviews cut in and out so you will know maybe one of the, if one of these movies are for you just go right to it and forget the rest or maybe just listen to everything listen to it all. You know these all of these are quality movies. I can't wait to see The Outwaters that's also getting really good reviews. Of an Age is getting great reviews as well and The Integrity of Joseph Chambers on the momentum of the Killing of Two Lovers about a year and a half, two years back, it's getting some really good reviews as well. The movie stands by itself. You know, it's not attached to The Killing of Two Lovers, but it has some of the momentum from that film. And I think it really sustains that momentum. Really looking forward to see what Clayton Crawford has has uh, in plan, has in store in the coming years. And he talks about that towards the end of the interview. And he also discusses his love for the I was going to say Quentin Tarantino film. He wrote the script. It's a Tony Scott film, True Romance, a movie, by the way, he loves. And I actually did that junket as well. And I'll post a link to where you can find the actual interviews from True Romance, that press junket that I attended. So I'll, I'll leave a link for from uh, for the... I don't have the Happy Together interview with Wong Kar Wai, but me and my buddy, Matt Levitz, we actually went to that junket and Matt Levitz actually uploaded the True Romance press day from years back and I'll I'll leave a link as well. So it's a lot of jumble, a lot of movies. Let's just the main thing though, there are three interesting films this weekend. Go check them out. Go check them out. Tell me, Bruce, Eric Anderson, what you think of these movies or these or these interviews, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Thank you so much for supporting us here on Cinematics. Most importantly, support these films and tell us what you think. Alright, bye. Hey. 
Hey, little lady. I'm sleeping. Please go back to the bathroom, shave it off. I'm not shaving it off. It's my hunting look. Hunts of guys around here hunt for their livelihood. You're not from here, Joe. Can I borrow your, your rifle? Do you need ammo? Nah, I bought some. Sorry. If you just wait the next week, I can go. Thanks again. I'm the mustache man. I'll catch it, I'll kill it any way I can. The whole point, this was I could take care of my family. My wife didn't even want me to come out here today. I'm just saying, it seems like the whole world's falling apart. Trespassing. Do I want to right? You did the right thing, John. You have to tell me what happened. I really love this movie, and Clint, I I just want to know between this and the killing of two lovers, just really accomplished pieces of cinema. I get to I get the I'm the beneficiary. I get to actually sit back, eat my chips, and watch it. You, on the other hand, you have two three years of hard work. Can you just in, in, sum up just the climbing the mountain aspect of making just boundary pushing cinema? What's that other end, that work end like for you? You know, look, I, I, I we could go. Th- I'll say this. And I'll, I'll quote my wife. You know, she says, uh, we have no memory of pain. Otherwise, we'd only have one child. Right. Um, and I think it's true. You don't remember the uncomfortable aspects you find. You only have. For me, anyway, the joy is what I kind of reflect on. Um, Otherwise, I don't think I would ever make another movie, you know, because they're super, super challenging. But, you know, as it relates to this last film, I got to make this film in my small town that I grew up in. Um, I utilized parents' homes and family friends' homes as locations, friends and family's vehicles as production cars. Um, It was really an all-hands-on-deck kind of grassroots approach. And they were all so enthusiastic to be a part of it. I mean, my friends financed it. You know, it was just it was uh, it was one big love fest. And for me to have the opportunity selfishly uh, to play these two characters has really been a it's a dream come true because I've been working in this industry for 20 years and I've kind of played a lot of the same guy and 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 you know, for the most part, you know, the bad guy, the heavy or, um, and to be vulnerable, uh, as an actor and within a character, there's just so much more meat on the bone. Um, so definitely challenging, um, lots of hard work, but for me, it's just exciting that it's even doable. And I think that's a reflection of just where we're at with technology and, the amount of outlets out there, people are constantly looking for content. And now you can create content without having to have 150 people and 20 trucks and some massive sophisticated piece of equipment that requires three or four men and women to operate. You know, that's just not the case anymore. And for me, that's super exciting. 
um, that we are, are are the only ones that can kind of stand in our way. Uh, when before there were gatekeepers and people you had to kind of go through. Um, so yeah, challenging. Um, but man, to, to, as you say, to be able to sit back and watch the film in a festival with an audience, it just makes it all drip away. I don't want to say too much about your film, but for me, in my interpretation is you can actually cut the film in three different ways. It's because your characters, can you just talk about working with someone like Jordana, then Michael Raymond James, and then Jeffrey Dean Morgan? It's just these three separate stories just combine into one. And I, I don't know how to put it into words, but what was it like just being a, a partner with each of these actors? Amazing. Well, you know, uh, Michael Raymond James is my brother. Like this is someone who is my dear, dear friend. And I love him very much. Um, and we've had the privilege of working together a couple of times. Um, but for him to come out and to play this character, uh, and for him to have given me so much, I mean, you watch the film, if there were an Oscar for playing dead, I mean, holy cow. And again, I don't want to get too much away, but this guy just killed it. And maybe I just did uh, pull the Tom Holland. Uh, but it, it you want is, me to cut that uh, out, by the way, in the interview, did, would you prefer <laughs> I cut that out? It's up to you. No, it's okay. It's okay. okay. It's okay. I, 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 I'm, and, and as it relates to Jeff and Jordana, just a gift, you know, to have the opportunity to work with Jordana on lethal and then to have met Jeff through his lovely, talented wife, Hillary Burton, who also was on lethal. Um, it, it, it's been incredible to call those guys up and for them to come out and us create something like this um, on a shoestring budget, you know, no money, uh, just a camera and a few people and, and us giving a hundred percent and, uh, and Robert allowing us just to play freely within the frame, um, a joy. And I'm just grateful that those guys came in and helped me out the way they did. Clean. Glenn, you were mentioning content and everything, and I think with this film, it's kind of ahead of its time regarding, and I've been asking filmmakers this and actors about regarding supporting independent cinema. I have a feeling once everything gets settled, that NFTs and helping support a film would be a viable way for people like us, cinephiles, to say, oh, we get an NFT for a movie that I love and I can keep it for posterity and then support the filmmakers from your experience. Do you see that maybe down the road as a viable option as far as not just as a side to side with crowdfunding and whatnot and being more independent and giving money back to the artists who make these indies? You you know, Greg, I mean, it's the hope. Uh, I don't know. Crypto is so um, it's just so fragile and there's so much uncertainty surrounding that market. Um, I, I certainly I'm ex- I've explored it and I'm, I'm still in the process of exploring it. Uh, I think we need something to support independent cinema. Uh, otherwise it is going to die because, you know, 10 years ago, Amazon and Netflix was going to the festivals and they were buying everything up. Um, you know, if you were in a festival, they would make you an offer. I think it was a hundred grand. So you could go make a movie for 50 grand and you were guaranteed to double your money. Right. Yeah. And it just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, they're now creating their own content and kind of controlling that content. So there needs to be shift and it's definitely on the horizon. You know, music has found that way of getting it directly to consumer. And that is our issue right now. We kind of need that pimp, which is the distributor, you know, or the sales agent or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest hurdle was being able to create it on your own. 
right? And as I mentioned before, we no longer need that large crew and a huge sum of money that requires oversight and requires um, fear because we have to get a return on our investment. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful that independent fit cinema is going to find a way um, and that there's going to be support from the community. Um, but it hasn't presented itself yet. Um, but we're going to just continue trying to make the best content we can with the resources we have um, and in an effort to continue to kind of push this boulder uphill. Glenn, I'm going to close this with a very superficial question. Just right off the top of your head, can you, you know, I've, I've been wondering this, can you name one of your all-time favorite films? And what is it about this specific movie that still speaks to you um, as an artist or more importantly, just as a movie buff? Um, my favorite movie of all time is True Romance. And I think it's one of the greatest collection of scenes of all time. Um, whether it's, you know, Dennis Hopper, uh, and his scene with Christopher Walken, uh, or Gary Oldman and his scene, you know, in, in, in the, in the club, um, with Christian Slater, it, it, it I mean, I could, I could just keep going like, you know, James Gandolfini and Trisha Arquette in the hotel room. Like, I just, I love that movie so much. And again, it's because of the performances. They're just some of the best acting uh, that I've ever seen. And then I would say um, Return of the Jedi or uh, Empire Strikes Back, just because I watched that movie at a drive-in, you know, in the backseat of my mom's Trans Am uh, with my Star Wars sheets and my Star Wars pillow and my action figures and uh, it was the first time I realized just how impactful cinema can be on individuals' lives um, and how important it can be for us to sometimes just be able to navigate our day-to-day, right? Entertainment is, is, uh, is, a, is a great um, distraction and, but, and also times a tool to help us, you know. Clay, thank you so much for your time. And selfishly, are there more really cool indie-driven projects down the pipe for you or because right, it just seems so hard to do, but I, I selfishly want some more from, from you know, uh, look, you. We, we've got a, we've got a great film that we just sold to 1091 pictures who that's the guys who did uh, what we do in the shadows. Uh, it's called best clown. It's Robin lively and Thomas Lennon. Uh, and it's about a young lady um, played by Ashley Shelton. Uh, who's also the writer director. And it's a story about a young girl who's dealing with uh, crazy amounts of anxiety and depression, but she, comes from a lineage of clowns and she wants to be the best clown. And it is just a special, special little project. Um, so that's what we have coming out this summer. And, and I'm pretty excited about that. Clint, again, thank you so much for you and your work. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Good seeing you. Right. Take care. Gordon, great to speak with you again. Good to see you. You know, I, I still have not seen Happy Together so I, I just, I want to know growing up when you were watching those, I was reading this variety piece, when you were watching 400 films a year, maybe borrowing stuff from your library, how important was Wong Kar Wai's films for you at that age, or maybe you grew into him later? Well, I'm probably to be honest, because like, the way I experienced his films when I was like 15, 16 was different. Um, I, I think I liked him. Um, and then at 19, 20, I loved him. And then at 25, he broke me. And at 35, it's just like, you know, um, it's what life is. It's what love is. It's what cinema is. So I, to me, it's also the sense of like, 
Um, and I was so happy together before I even knew myself as gay. And I only re- remember now how turned on I was, but that's a whole other part of the interview. <laughs> um, no, it, it was also obviously watching it, but not even thinking to this boy in like deep denial, not even thinking of it as a queer story because I was just like transfixed. Uh, you know, I was like super in love with like trying to learn like halfway through whether or not I acknowledged it to myself. But like it was also just following the story and I really cherish stories that would take me somewhere far away from you know where I was. Um and I felt like feelings were like a lot more important, you know, in a in a rifle. It was only gradually that I realized you know, feelings in real life is just as important. And I think it almost like taught me about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one of, you know, many filmmakers I love, like, there's a lot of our reference in there as well, secretly, hiddenly in the posters and some of the song choices. But yeah, no, I'm crying. it remains very important to me. Can you talk about your decision to edit the film? Because it seems like such a, a monumental challenge because. The first half is very breakneck, very quick, and it's just very tense. But then throughout the movie, you're just really changing the pace. What, were you the only one to edit this movie, meaning it was because it was so close to you? Or what, what was the decision behind that? I've edited most of my short films. I made 25 or like 23 <laughs> myself. So that's our ultimate movies. And to me, like, directing is shaping the emotional through line for the viewer, you know? And... I genuinely just don't know how to do that without editing. Like, even just picking takes and, like, the foundation of, of you know, like, once you, as soon as you start building into the first version of the edit, the decisions you get stuck in without even realizing it. And I feel like unless that comes from my feeling, like, so much can go wrong. And um, I think also I just had to teach myself to edit in a way that was, like, you can't be overconnected. You can't have babies. You know, like in both you won't be alone and in uh, of an age, I deleted my favorite scene or most of my favorite scene because um, not that it wasn't working, it's just that along the way there was some emotional weight accumulated through other moments that I didn't anticipate that I didn't need that part. And like, I told myself to edit like an editor, not like a director who's self absorbing. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I'm very self critical as well. But, uh, and it's also like these are skill sets I've had to learn by myself because no one's going to give me an opportunity to like, you know, I, I didn't know anyone in the industry. I'm definitely not related to anyone in the industry. So I had to like learn how to make films on a DIY level where I had to do everything. And then I think that like also shaped my aesthetic and my emotional connection to the viewer. Um, when you wouldn't be able to learn, like there was no chance anyone was going to give a first-time director the opportunity to also edit their work. So I never, you know, really pursued it. But like, let me assure you, every single frame and cut in that film from you know what I, I needed, what I wanted in that moment. And uh, having worked on that film and my producer got a sense of how I how I work as well. Um and you know I love the editor I worked with as well, Luca and you wouldn't be alone. But like Christina who would never usually let a director editor work realize that I do have capability. And I've edited my third piece for now as well and you know it's a different producer and a different distributor but they're right oh well, not distributor, different style agent. But they're also very happy with it. I, I feel like if you can build up the skills there, there's something so precious because there's just no filter. And like you can work off your feeling in a way. And like the decisions you get to make really quickly, which by the time you verbalize it, you lose it sometimes. You know? yeah. Um, so, yeah. Can you talk about the, the idea with, with 
of an age, we were talking about Wong Kar Wai films, how maybe I think at 25, it broke you because maybe it comes from a real emotional place. Can you talk about crafting your story and making it real and emotional, but not making it operatic and saccharine or too sugary? You kept everything real. And I think that's what makes your film so heartbreaking. Was that a hard sacrifice for you or was it very easy to make it true for you? It's kind of the main operating principle in my head, even though, like, there was a scene that actually we had to shoot twice, the 60 scene towards the end, and I found it wasn't quite, I mean, the first time we shot it, it was fine, um, but there was something wrong, and I realized it was in the writing. There were false lines of dialogue that were clearly written, that would work in, you know, a piece of prose, maybe, or maybe a poem would be too far. <laughs> it wasn't very poetic language, but, like, yeah. It was. It felt like a monologue that was being delivered. Um, and poor Elias, I made him do the damn monologue all over again. And I was, I just took out a few lines. Um, and suddenly there wasn't a problem. There wasn't a blip. Um, and you know, because I realized I have to work in a place where I believe this is like day to day life. Um, I think the operatic stylized way of filmmaking is something I admire and I feel I would love to uh, I'd be able to achieve it one day I'm not sure if you can post that you know but genuinely speaking like someone was asking me how, how did you decide to you know light the sexy in a way that wasn't prurient or exploitative I'm just like oh we barely even think about it because me and Madison the cinematographer always work off the principle of either natural available light and shaping it through camera angles or trying to mimic it completely natural light. Um and like having that as a base, it's also it's also possible to shoot very fast and you have to learn about budget. Um but it's possible to shoot very fast if you're operating out of something that needs to feel true and real in the moment um and comes from something that feels like lived in reality. I think something stylized takes a lot lot more time. Yeah. Uh, which is a luxury. Hopefully, I, I might have one day. I don't know if we're pursuing specifically, to, but I do love that kind of filmmaking too. But genuinely speaking, to me, that's the only foundation that I know confidently I can deliver a story that can connect with someone at the end. You know, Gorn, with these two films, wonderful films, and then you, I, I was reading your, you've completed your third film. I'm assuming you're very obsessed with cinema. So my final question to you is: Can, can you name one specific movie that? when you have free time with, you will just watch over and over again. And you're just really obsessed with it. Either it could be on a cinematic level or just like you're an instinctive emotional level, like of an age. What's the, that movie that gets you really obsessed? Right. Oh my God, there's so many. Greg. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I will say when I was growing up, it's a, it sounds like such a small, small thing, but, uh, and I don't even, I, I Pronounce the title badly, but it's a French film called La Talente or La Talente from the 1930s. Vigo. Uh, right? That's my favorite film. Um, and I remember that, like, I, I would watch it and I don't even know. I, I taped it off like a late night channel, like from TV when I was like 14, because I'd seen it on lists. And, and normally, and this was at a time when I couldn't really usually connect with like slow based cinema or anything that as a terror. But that was this one film where I was just like, I don't know what it is, but I was just in troll all the way through. And I couldn't even just explain why or describe why. And if I started watching a clip, I would end up watching all of it all the way through because I was just lost in it every single time. Um, 
Flipping that one. And coincidentally, I was doing a promo screening in San Francisco two days ago in this uh, Art Deco beautiful theater called uh, the Venue Theater. And they had a poster next to the door going, coming soon, what's a lot I was like, excuse me? They'll play it, like, the next week, which, like, the coincidence of, you know, it's not a film you see or I had very often or didn't hear about. Um, I was like, I, I made my husband take a photo with me next to the poster. Like, I never post for a photo with me, but it's like, no, 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 this is not Yeah, I was... Um, but- as we're leaving, I, you know, I, I just, I, I remember reading years ago that some, some writer said that, you know, in what, five or six hours, Vigo accomplished more in five or six hours of film work than what directors do their entire lives. Do you agree? I mean, completely. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he's just, you know, one of the greatest that are, he was like 34 when he died. It's, yeah. my mind boggles. And also, like, it's not like he built on influences. He just, like, reinvented cinema in his own shape, just casually, like, while other, working under horrific circumstances i'm just like i don't know people like that i just go wow you can just be grateful they existed really yeah thank you so much for your film and for your work and really love this film and i guess i'll i'll, I'll interview you next year and um looking forward to it Hopefully later this year hang on it's almost finished <laughs> <laughs> all right take care well i'm here with robbie banfitch the writer director of the outwaters and i gotta say this is a pretty fantastic movie. I'm not normally a uh, fan of the found footage genre because it's been kind of stale. But what I really appreciated what you did here was that the first half of the movie kind of, kind of, you know, kind of toes the line of found footage. And then you did a cool thing about halfway through. You kind of, uh, you kind of, I don't want to say subverted the genre, but you kind of took it to a new height. It's like now this is no longer a found footage. So we're we're getting into the the mind of uh the main character and going into uh kind of spiraling down into his insanity throughout. Uh what what was your I I don't know, I I guess what was your uh thoughts going into this? I just wanted to make a good movie. So well, you did that. <laughs> so I tried to just do it good. I don't know. I don't know. My thoughts going into it were I wanted. Yeah, I have pet peeves in horror. I have pet peeves, especially in found footage horror. For example, characters fighting and arguing and hating each other and having convoluted conversations you would never have on camera. Um, So I wanted to avoid a lot of the things that annoyed me about movies like that. Um, yeah, but my thoughts going into it, I just want to take my time and make this as good as I can possibly make it and 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 redo things if they didn't feel like they worked, etc. Yeah. What what does the script for this movie look like? Because, uh, you know, the, uh, again, the first half you have like dialogue and scenes and stuff. And then the last half, it, I, it, I could be way off, but it seems like it's just uh, you in a camera and you're just going nuts with it. But like, what 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 does a script look like? Because uh, I I imagine it's not, it doesn't look like a typical script. You could do the MRI thing because a lot of the shots were just in my brain, uh, and uh, in terms of what was written down, lots of very specific shots were written down, lists of shots, things that needed to be said, and. Um, storyboard images for certain particular shots that I, that were very important, but it was, I would call it 
um, written and organized, but in a few different places and scattered about. Yeah. And now also I, I saw your, uh, your short film, uh, white light. Uh, I actually saw that on your YouTube channel, the some tips for life, which I just subscribed to. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I love your, I love your, uh, conversations with your grandma, by the way, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, the, the, well, actually, let's just dive into that. The you and your grandma, the, the hot tips for hot tips with grandma of what's yeah. grinder, and it, you got a whole bunch of them. But um, are you going to be doing any more of those, or uh, what? How, how did those start? And how does your grandma kind of? Uh, does she is she in on the joke? Um, she was slightly in on the joke. She didn't really know what I was going to say, but she knew that I'm kind of. Um, a little troublemaker so um yeah she was not fully in on the joke but also knowing that i was gonna mess with her a little bit but my old youtube channel um was really just fun and <laughs> totally different than the outwaters like improv comedy and just kind of having fun with my friends so oh but also with the white light what i was going to bring up with that is it has a similar kind of uh, thing where when white light starts, it's like, okay, I, I, I know what this movie is. And then about halfway through it kind of, it kind of goes places much like the, the outwaters does. Um, is that just, uh, as you're writing it, is that just kind of where your brain goes? You just like to start off kind of, uh, start you off in a safe place and then just kind of turn the dial about halfway through or. I think so far with the, the bigger projects I've made, Um, I have a start point and I follow it and I don't necessarily follow it using a like set formula. Um, So that might be why my films sometimes end up in different places than one might expect because I'm not trying to fit things neatly into a, um, a, 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 you know, a formulaic box. Although story is obviously important and everyone should know story before they start messing around and experimenting with it. But yeah, I think I usually have a beginning point and I explore it without worrying about um, how it would fit nicely into it. What, what, what kind of, what kind of things go in your head during that process? Like you just writing it and go, Oh, you know what? We need a screaming blood snake. So fuck <laughs> it. We're just, just going to write that in here. Um, Ideas just pop into my, you know, I'll be like watching it and then I'll, 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 I don't know, an idea, just an image usually will pop into my head. And if it sticks, then I, it's worth filming. And sometimes it, I film it and it does, I don't like it, but if it sticks in my mind for a couple of days, um, then it's probably worth trying at least. Yeah. yeah. I also want to talk about the song at the end and I don't, uh, Salem Belladonna. Is that, well, was that who did the, who, who did the song at the credits? Cause so I, I'm, I'm watching this movie. I'm going nuts by the end of it. And then you start rolling the credits and the song is just so soothing. I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to live in this for a while. I love it. It's amazing. The end credit song is by my friend, Lauren Jackwish. Okay. Uh, we grew up together. We went to high school together. The first time I met her, I had shown the movie Gummo at a high school party. <laughs> And then I met her like walking down some suburban streets and she started singing, killing me softly. 
And I was like, oh my God, your voice is fantastic. So we've been friends ever since she sang Killing Me Softly after the uh, Gummo party. And she had this song, which I've known about for years, and and um, I just thought it was perfect for the end credits. Yeah, and it kind of works too, because there, there's been like a, I don't know if you want to say controversy, but people like talk about, uh, uh, like with the Netflix thing of like cutting the credits off, like once the movie's done. And a lot of filmmakers kind of uh, complain about that, but then you watch a movie and the credits are just kind of, kind of, eh, we're throwing that in there. Clearly they didn't take any time with that, but you did not do that. You had a, a great song kind of decompresses you after the movie. And then you have the, the after the after credit sequence, the, the, the slideshow within. I, I just, I love her song and I wanted it to play out fully. I also wanted to spend actual time on the special thanks section so that people could actually find their names and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, an interesting fact is apparently you have to tell movie theaters that there's an after credit sequence so they don't turn the lights up right when the credits start. So I did learn that. Hmm. All right. And also, uh, you were a musician as well. I mean, uh, writer, director, musician. I I would just call you an artist just through and through. Um, Thanks. I, I love your song, uh, Nights Coming On. Uh, there's a friend of mine, a uh, band, uh, Sack of Lions, and they have a song that's uh, kind of within the same genre of Nights Coming On. It reminded me a lot of that, and I, I really appreciate this song. It was really beautiful. Thank you. I actually I wrote that after the Pulse nightclub shooting um, songs about that, and I don't do music that often, it, it, um, only when I'm really compelled and there seems to be a song like inside me that I can't. So that one was right after the Pulse shooting in Orlando. I wrote that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I think we're just about out of time, but I will end with the uh, the typical question. My co-host, Bruce. Oh, I forgot to ask. Skinwalker Ranch. Does the Outlander or the Outwaters have anything to do with Skinwalker Ranch? I learned about Skinwalker Ranch after making the Outwaters, so no. Okay. But I understand why people are asking about it. Um. I understand. Okay. <laughs> I haven't. I didn't know the the story behind it. I just knew that there was something called Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. Okay. But the the question I had was, uh, my co-host Bruce has a box that uh, we have people put movies in, or uh, movies you like. Maybe movies like, oh, not enough people talk about this. Uh, and every week he pulls a movie out of the box, and we watch it for the next week. So, would do you have a movie you would like to put into the box? Yeah, it's a Portuguese horror movie. The English title is called Bad Blood. Uh, The Portuguese title is Coisa Ruim, although I don't know how to pronounce it. You can only get it, I believe, on DVD, but it's cheap. So if you order the Bad Blood DVD by Tartan Tartan Video, uh, you get it pretty cheap on Amazon. It's one of my favorite horror movies. It's a very classy ghost story, very beautifully acted and very literate. So um, Bad Blood. but it's the Portuguese one. All right. Well, thank you very much, Robbie. I enjoyed actually uh, both Outwaters and uh, White Light and you. your music and your grandma and your <laughs> YouTube channel. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Appreciate it.